Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today that you'd like more of, make sure you listen to our weekly podcast, Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's listen to this week's message. Well, amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. Can I hear Merry Christmas from everybody? It's good. Yeah, so hey, guys uh, at both campuses, so guys watching it not at uh, Frederick Campus Live, people online, people here, you are two weeks away. So two weeks away, so it means like Christmas presents for family, get on it, right? This is just your warning um, for that, because I'm always the guy who's late, so just encourage you with that. It also means that two weeks from yesterday is Christmas Eve, and we've got services, and we've been encouraging you to invite, and so I want to ask you, who are you going to invite? So put a reminder in your phone, put a name in there, and uh, get with them this week and invite them to come to Christmas Eve uh, with you. Um, hey, we started a, uh, a Christmas series a couple weeks ago, and it's called The Christmas Effect, and it reminded me of, of just something that happened about 10 years ago. There was a social media video that I took, and it popped up about a month ago on my feed um, just as a memory. So it's of my seven-year-old at the time. Check it out. I'm going to skip a ride. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. She's cute. She was here this last service, and uh, she's 17 now. Um, and what a heck of an arm, would you say? Like, I should sign that kid up for the Rockies. I mean, she looked, she looked pretty good there. Um, actually, uh, she doesn't have that good of an arm, and that wasn't her. That was actually me behind her chucking that rock and skipping across the water. But I remember the first time I showed that video in services, everybody's like, Wow. She's amazing. Like, yeah, she is. So it's good. Anyways, I show you that for no other reason than this. What is a ripple effect? When you throw that cross of water, or you, excuse me, you throw that rock across the water, the impact of the rock hitting the water, it causes a ripple effect because of the impact. It starts in one location and it extends outward from that location across the entire pond or the entire lake or wherever it is. So this Christmas series that we're doing is called the Christmas effect. And that's the reason. Because 2,000 years ago, there was something that actually happened. There was a moment in history where there was a baby that was born. We know the story. I don't have to explain the story. You know the story. But there was a baby that was born, and there was a ripple effect that happened from that moment that is extended across the last 2,000 years to today. And it's got you sitting here watching this right now. And you look at that, and it's not because just a baby was born. It's because of who that baby was. Last week, Matt started off our series, did a great job, and he went back beyond the Christmas story. Went to John chapter one, and John is one of the gospels, there's two of them, that don't start with the Christmas story. Like John's like, you know what, the Christmas story is good, but let me take you all the way back to the beginning. He goes all the way back to creation, and he talks about it in the very first verse, he explained what was going on at creation, and who was there, and who actually did the creating. Listen to what he says. John chapter one, verse one, says, in the beginning was the word. That word actually in Greek is, is logos. It's the idea of the exact representation of. So it's in the beginning was the word or the exact representation and the word was with God and the word was God. So whatever this thing was, it was the exact representation of God and it says it was God. Then it says this, he was with God in the beginning. And John just starts off and he says, hey, this whole thing, the logos, the exact representation of something, it was God. 
and it showed up into our universe on our earth and walked this world just like we did, it was Jesus. Jesus came to earth and what John was saying is you and I would have no idea. We would have no idea what God was actually like. Like we understand who God is, he's the creator, but we would have no idea what he's actually like unless Jesus showed up. Like you would be left with thoughts of things in the Old Testament where you see some of the crazy things that happen. You say, man, that seems like a really judgmental God. Jesus shows up and you realize that Jesus is not judgmental. God is not judgmental. God is accepting and loving. Jesus shows up and you look at this God, you're like, man, he can be harsh sometimes in the Old Testament. And you realize that Jesus was actually harsh. The only people he was harsh with were the religious leaders that seemed to be against people. What Jesus was is he was all inclusive of saying, I came for those who are sick and who need something better. I came into the mess to show you not just who God is, but what he's like. And that's the big picture of the Christmas story. Like John was capturing this, he was saying, hey, the Messiah came into the mess of this world. He came into the mess of this world so you could actually know that there's a God. And we look at that picture and we're like, okay, yeah, we understand that. And he brought salvation to the world. But the big question that hits you and me is like, how does that actually run into my life? Like on a daily basis, I get that God brought Jesus and Jesus died on a cross and he rose from the dead. And some of you are skeptical of that stuff, but I'd remind you that that skepticism, you ought to actually, I think there's answers for it. And you ought to actually question it because you're sitting here today and 2.3 billion people in our world today called that guy their savior. Like, like the ripple effect because of not just the baby coming in the story of Christmas, but the ripple effect of who he was and what he showed us has literally changed the world. But you wanna know how does it change my world? I was sitting on the back porch with my wife a couple weeks ago. We were having a conversation and we were talking about some of the things that were happening in life right now, just some of the stresses. Just be honest, there was a few stresses. Like you get it, we're coming to Christmas and holidays, there's stress. When you got kids, there's stress, right? There's a lot of things that, that go on there. there. There's some stresses, but there were also some disappointments. Like you've got them too, what are they for you? We were talking about a couple disappointments in life and she was talking about a couple of her disappointments currently. And she looked at me and she kind of paused and she said, Sometimes I just wonder in the middle of all this mess, like, is there really any meaning to pur and purpose to all this? It's just a very vulnerable statement. Like you said it, I've said it before. Usually at our low points, we say those kind of things, but she was just very honest. She said, man, in this point right now, I just am disappointed with some things and I look at it and I just wonder sometimes, is there any purpose to this whole thing? And she wasn't talking about the big picture. Like we believe in the big picture. We have faith in the big picture. We know God has brought salvation. We know that. We know we're going to have, we know all that stuff. But it was like, but what's it mean right now? Is God like clued in? Does he know what's going on? Does he care what's happening right now? Is there any purpose to all this? And I think you've had that question. And so what is it in the Christmas story? I want to jump into a passage, be very clear today. I'm going to jump into a passage that I think very clearly says there's a big picture plan, but I think it actually, through some stories of some people, it actually says that God cares about his big picture plan, but he actually cares about your plan. God actually cares about your story. He cares about your individual life. He cares about today. He cares about the disappointments. And I think this story 
actually captures that idea. Now, I'll give you a disclaimer. I want you to go to Matthew chapter one. We'll start in verse one. The disclaimer is this. It is the most boring part of the Christmas story. Like you're going, great. Thanks, Sean. Do I just pack up and leave today? You could go brought some Broncos, but that's gonna be really boring too. So it's all right. You're better off staying here. It's boring because of this. Matthew starts off, Matthew and Luke start off in their, in their gospel. So these guys are like eyewitnesses to what happened. So Matthew's a disciple. He sat at a tax collector's booth. Jesus walks by and he's like, you need a better life. Come follow me. You usually get a better life when you get it connected with Jesus. Matthew jumps out of his tax collector's booth and he becomes a disciple. And he is an eyewitness to the entire thing. He sits down later and he writes out an account of Jesus' life and ministry. He starts with a genealogy. Like how many of you have done like the, the ancestry thing? Is there anybody that's done the ancestry thing? I, yes, she's, she's loud and proud. She's like, oh yeah, I've done that. I stay away from that because my ancestors come from the backwoods of Kentucky and I don't want to know. Like I just don't want to know the stories that are involved in that. But guys, that's the genealogy. You jump in and Matthew gives a list of names and, and, and I'll be honest, like it's a list of names. Most of you, we can't even pronounce these names. And so what do you do? When you start off in the book of Matthew, you look at those first 17 verses, you're like, well, I'll skip that and let's get to the good stuff. But here's what happens when you skip the boring stuff, you miss so much meaning. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read a little bit of the boring stuff for you. So Matthew chapter one, starting at verse one, it says this, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah the son of David and the son of Abraham. Okay, pretty good so far. We might recognize some of those names. Definitely Jesus. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Are you enjoying this yet? All right. Good, good. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Ruth, or Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. Um, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And I will spare you the next 10 verses of names. You sit down in that and you look at that list. And I look at that list from our culture and we're like, who cares? Mark Moore is, is a writer, pastor, theologian, um, pastor of church in, in Arizona. He writes a book that we're using, and it's just a great book in some of our small groups. It's called Quest 52. And he writes a chapter, chapter four, on this idea, and he says, who cares? He says, the Jews cared. Like the Jews deeply cared. Because these were the stories of their ancestors, the Israelites, and every single story. This wasn't like a boring list of names to them. This was a story of names that every name equaled a story of God's meticulous care for the Israelites throughout history. Like it was like, here's the story of Abraham. And do you remember what happened with Abraham and how God took care of him? Do you remember the 12 sons? Judah's mentioned in here, and she mentions his 12 brothers. Do you remember all that? Do you remember Joseph? They would have just gone through all these stories and been like, remember what God has done. Like it actually mattered to them. Like it was a story of here how, here's how God actually cares. The genealogy ends in verse 16, and it says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. 
The Messiah meant the anointed one or the chosen one. And many of the religious leaders of the day and staunch conservative Jew, Jews would have looked at this and they would have said, no, we don't, we don't believe that. Like this, Jesus is in the line, but we don't believe he's the Messiah. But the Christians would have looked at this and it would have been story after story after story of the big picture of how God had taken care of people. But here's what I think. You step back in and you look at the genealogy and what you catch as you look at these names, you begin to realize it's not just the big picture story of salvation that you and I get to be involved with. It is the small everyday picture like the conversation that my wife and I had on the back porch of does this really matter? I think the genealogy says it does matter. Like some of you sit here today and you're like, man, I think God's involved in the big picture, but I don't think he's involved in my picture because my life's messy. Man, there's pain in my life and there's difficulty and there's disappointment. And I don't think God like knows that, cares about that. I think he wants me to accept Jesus, but he doesn't care about my everyday life. The genealogy pushes back on that statement. Here's how. As I read the genealogy, there is something that Matthew does that no other Jewish genealogy does. I don't know if you caught this at all. Ladies, this will be really important to you. What, what Matthew does in a genealogy is something that, that is very outside of his culture. Matthew mentions five women in the genealogy. Did you catch that? He mentions five women, which we would think would be very natural because if we're listening to a family line, we're not mentioning just the men. We would think that would be just really sexist, right? But remember, Jesus wasn't born into a 21st century Western culture. He was born into a first century Middle Eastern culture. It was the norm of the day. They didn't mention females' names in the genealogy. They mentioned the men. And here's an interesting thing, too, is if you didn't like, the genealogies were very fluid. And so if you didn't like some stories that you had, so they would try to get the names right. But what would happen is if you had like an ax murderer uh, in your family tree, or let's say you're a Christmas vacation fan, you got an Uncle Eddie, like in your family tree, right? You just admitted that name. Like you just admitted that name. So not only would like a genealogy not have females name it, names in it, a genealogy wouldn't have messy names in it. And guys, there are so many of these stories that you look at that are a mess, but they're still included. Like let's just go through them for a second. Let me just take these five stories of these ladies and let's go through them for a second. And I want you to see the context. You don't have to know all the story, but you do need to know the context. And think about it. The first one that's mentioned is Tamar. Some of you are sitting here going that know that scripture, know that story. They're like, hey, there are kids in the room. Let's be PG-13 or, or PG about this. I mean, it's a rough story. It's a really rough story. Like I won't go into all of it, but... It was, it was basically an incestuous relationship that happened between a wife and then her father-in-law. And you sit there and I don't even have to tell you the rest of the story. And you're like, dude, is this Jerry Springer, right? I mean, this is rough stuff. This is messy stuff, but Tamar is still included. You go on from there and you get Rahab. If you know the story of Rahab, man, when the Israelites were going into the promised land, God had promised way back to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. It's going to be the land of Canaan, but you're going to have to go in and take it. When they finally had wandered through the desert for 40 years, God said, it's time to go in. Joshua sends two spies. They go into Jericho. They're checking out Jericho. It's going to be the biggest battle they're going to face. They're going in. They go in and there's a lady named Rahab who lives there and she's a prostitute. That's her vocation. 
So when these guys go in to spy out Jericho, who do they go and stay with? They don't go stay with a common citizen because a common citizen would turn them in. They go and they stay with a prostitute. And the prostitute doesn't care about the government and the leadership and the police in the area. And so when they come looking for the spies, she hides them. She hides them and makes a deal and says, hey, I will hide you if you take care of me when you come into town. When the army comes to take this place and the story goes on that that's what happened and she ends up leaving with the Israelites and finding a family. Like it's a messy story. She had a messy background. She had a messy past, but she's still included. Then you get Ruth. Ruth is a foreigner. It's a crazy story. She is a widow. She comes back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law. She's in a foreign country. And there's this beautiful love story of her falling in love with a guy named Boaz that to us, we just read it like, man, that's so beautiful. To them, they're like, what? She's a foreigner. Like this does not happen. But guys, it does happen for a guy named Boaz, whose mother is named what? Rahab, who was a prostitute in Jericho, who left Jericho after the battle and was spared and went with an Israelite man, fell in love with him, got married and had a son named Boaz who opened the door for a foreigner named Ruth. Guys, it doesn't happen, but God's got this story that even involves Ruth and her story. It's a messy story to the Jews, but it's included. Then you get Uriah's wife. Did you notice it doesn't even say Bathsheba? It says Uriah's wife. Like that's one of those stories Matthew was probably like, oh man, this is a rough story. We'll just say Uriah's wife. Everybody knew. And if you know the story, you know it was King David and his buddy Uriah goes off to war. He's one of his main guys in, in his army. He sends him off to war. He ends up designing his murder so he can get together with his wife, Bathsheba. David sends leaders, his leaders, his police guys to go over to her house and bring him over. And guys, if you just look at this story, it's called adultery in scripture. Guys, if we're just really honest about this, it's so messy. We don't know if it's adultery or something else. It's a mess. Yet her name is included. And then you get to Mary. And Mary's the only one that wasn't a mess. Right? Mary, Mary was, uh, it says that God greeted her. The angel greeted her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, meaning high character, great person, man, well-known in the community. This woman was going to be a great person of God. Her life's not a mess. Until the angel shows up. The angel shows up and said, God's going to get involved and here's what's going to happen. And it became a mess. The family dynamics, all the stuff that happened, it was a mess. Do you know that in that story... Like the result of a female getting pregnant before marriage is that the father could have her stoned to death. You ever wondered why Joseph fled to Egypt with them? There was more to that. Somebody else was trying to kill the babies, but do you ever wonder why Joseph thought about divorcing her? Do you ever wonder why Mary left and went and stayed with her cousin Elizabeth? Because it was a messy story. And then most of us sit here and say, well, well, yeah, it was a messy story. But then there was Christmas and the shepherds came and the wise men all came around. And, you know, it just looked like a really great story. And when Jesus was born, it cleared Mary's name, right? No. Jesus would have been called the illegitimate son of an illegitimate marriage. It was a mess. And why does Matthew include all of this? When normal Jewish genealogies wouldn't have included this, they wouldn't have included the women and they would not have included the mess because your genealogy as a Jew, it was like, it was like a resume. 
And what you did with your resume is you were trying to tell the best story. You go try to get a job and you go into the interview, you put that resume across there. You don't include the bad stuff. You include all the good stuff. And that's what a Jewish resume was. It was how they did, they, they aligned marriages, how they aligned trees, how they aligned connections, all these business deals, all these things. You tried to tell the best story with your line and your lineage. And what God was doing with Matthew is he was saying, Matthew, I just want you to tell the real story. And the real story includes all the mess and it includes the whole picture to the point of the Messiah coming and entering into our mess. You see, guys, I think there's a lot of us that sit there, and, and me included, we sit there and we kind of look at life, and there are moments where we say, my life is messy. We say, whether it's relationships, or, or whether it's a failure, or whether it's a bad habit, or whether it's a sin, or whether it's grief, this might be the first or the second Christmas that, that you've been without somebody, and it hurts. And there's just, there's mess and there's difficulty, there's family dynamics and relationships and there's problems with kids and there's problems with parents and, and there's friendship problems and there's divorces and there's, there's all these different things where we look at that and we look at our mess and what we have a tendency to do is immediately think that our mess limits God's presence in our life. And what the genealogy does is it just tells these stories of, of God's meticulous care for the Israelites, but then also all the mess that's involved that he just brings into his plant. And it culminates with this situation at the end where it says Joseph was the father of Jesus, whose mother was Mary, who was the Messiah. Where we see that the Messiah was willing to come into our mess and create this incredible miracle. You see, what Joseph was doing, or excuse me, what Matthew was doing in the genealogy was something very intentional for you and me. Didn't fit his culture, but it was something very intentional for you and me. David Platt writes us this way. It says, these names were included in a line that leads to Jesus so that you could know that your name can be included in the line that leads from Jesus. See, what Matthew was trying to say is, is this, everything you need to understand, like everything you could understand about the gospel and about what I'm about to tell you, like all these stories I will tell you about Jesus and what he came for, everything I'm about to tell you is found right here in this genealogy. Like you, everything you need to understand about the gospel is found right here. And here's what you need to understand is God can take your mess because you got mess and I've got mess. God can take our mess and he can turn it into a miracle. Like he can take your mess relationally. He can take your mess with sin and bad habits and dysfunction. And what he can do is he can turn that thing, if we allow him to, he can turn that thing into a miracle in our life. And not only can he turn the mess into a miracle, here's the other thing he can do. He can turn pain into purpose. Like, don't miss this, guys. And don't miss this wherever you're sitting. You look at the genealogy, and the genealogy is riddled with pain. Like, if you step back into to the genealogy, look at these even five stories. Tamar, shunned. I mean, the little sto literal story that happened there is her husband died. And what was supposed to happen is the brother, the next brother was supposed to marry her. 
Well, he did. Like, and he didn't even have to have a relationship with her. It was just a way that God had put into the law for them to provide for people. So these widows just, they weren't starving and poverty stricken. And so the brother, he stands up and he's like, okay. And he brings her into his family and he dies. And dad Judah looks at this lady and he's like, you're not marrying any more brothers. He's like, you're out. You're not marrying any more brothers because I'm not losing any more sons and there's something wrong with you. You want to talk about the pain of this woman of being shunned? You want to talk about the pain of potential, probably possible abuse in the past that potentially led to Rahab being a prostitute? You you want to talk about the the loss of, of a husband being a widow and then going back to another country and have people shun you and you become a beggar walking around behind the farmers that are doing the fields and just picking up the scraps? That was Ruth. You want to talk about Bathsheba and the pain of however that story happened, losing a husband, involvement with David, all the whispering and everything that was going on, being brought into a palace where David's got other wives. You want to talk about pain? And then you step into Mary being falsely accused. You want to talk about pain? But you step back into that story and here's the interesting thing about every one of those stories. In the midst of the pain, there had to be patience. And for some of you, you need to hear this, that in the midst of the pain, there's got to be patience. But we bring that pain to God and we wait with patience. And what God ends up doing is he turns that pain into purpose. He takes a mess and he can turn it into a miracle and he can take pain and even bring purpose to it. And what was interesting about every one of those stories, if you go back and you look at it, Ruth is a literal Cinderella story. She finds a husband. Man, you, you step back into, into Rahab and Rahab ends up marrying into the Israelite family and she ends up finding a family and finding a husband. There's, there's all that Bathsheba becomes a queen. Mary becomes the mother of Jesus. And yes, was there pain riddled throughout that? But Mary, it says Mary, a couple years after Jesus is born, she's sitting there and she's watching all these things and she just marvels, it says. She sees the purpose in what's happening. You know the pain that Mary saw as she sat before the cross, but she also, the elation and understanding she felt when she saw the resurrected son. I mean, guys, what you see in every one of these stories, all five, is you see that there is a redemption story in the midst of the pain. And I think what we end up seeing through the genealogy is yes, you and I have mess. Yes, you and I have pain, but God can make a miracle out of your mess and he can provide, he can bring purpose into your pain. And the other thing that he can do is he can actually make a message. He can make a message out in the mess of our life. And the question is simply this. The question is simply, will we give our mess, will we give our pain to God and allow him to transform it and use it and work through it? There's so many times we hold on to it, we say we're going to fix it, we're going to work on this. And I don't know about you, but the harder I tend to work on and try to fix things, the more problems I end up creating. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is this, you don't have to work to receive. You don't have to earn your place in God's line. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to clean up yourself. Tim Keller says this, he, great pastor and preacher in New York City, great writer. He, he, says, he says that there's a difference between good news and good advice. And he says, most of you think that the gospel is just good advice. 
It's good ideas and good thoughts that, you know, you can read Proverbs and tell you how to handle your money and handle relationships and great teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives. It's a whole bunch of good advice, but he says, you know what the problem with good advice is? Is good advice is to be followed. Good advice is something to do, and good advice, whether it makes a difference in your life, is totally dependent on you. He says, good news, it's different. He said, good news isn't dependent on you. Good news is simply something you receive and it's dependent upon something else. And that is why the gospel is called good news is because you got mess and you got pain. And what Jesus says is to be included in his line to see a miracle happen in your life. It doesn't say that he's gonna remove all the pain instantly. What he says is he's gonna be with you in the midst of it that he's gonna transform it. He's gonna be in purpose and progress out of it. He's saying, hey, even the test that you're in right now can be a testimony that can be used for the sake of other people. And you might look back five years ago and say, that was so painful, but I see so many things of what God was doing. But here's the thing, it's not good news for you unless you accept it. The only thing your mess says about you is that you're in good company. The only thing that my mess says about me, it doesn't determine my value, it doesn't determine what kind of person honestly I am. In God's eyes, what it says is you are in good company. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, for how many have sinned? Say, for you have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. No, it says all people. It says every single one of us have sinned, we've disappointed somebody, we've messed up, we've had bad habits, we've made bad decisions. Some of us, we say, all of us, we say somewhere in there, we got a story like one of these five ladies. And most of us think that limits the possibilities of what God can do in our life. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm glad that that's not the only verse in scripture that says what the gospel actually is. Second Corinthians chapter five seventeen says this, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, in Christ's line, and we're not talking about like family line, we're talking about bloodline. Meaning if you have placed your faith in Jesus shed blood on the cross that paid the penalty for your sins, because there had to be a death. Like Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, what was deserved for sin was a death. There had to be a life for a life here. And so if we were gonna be freed, somebody had to pay our penalty of death. And Jesus said, I got this. And he went to the cross and he shed his blood and he said, all you have to do to get in line, to be clothed, to be, to be given my righteousness, to be given my forgiveness, to, to be back in relationship with God is place your faith in me. Is you just have to receive it. You just have to receive it. The gospel goes on and it, it says in Galatians chapter three, verse 26 and 27, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith if you've received it. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have placed their faith in God. He goes on and he says, because he's saying, hey, if you have received this, some of you have not. Like it's fully available. You, You don't have to accomplish it. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to earn it. You just receive it. And he says, here's how you receive it. For all of you who have placed your faith in God, he says, like children of God through faith, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Meaning, like you've put on the blood of Christ over your sin. And it's been washed away. And then you've put on like the robe of the resurrection. Like you now have a new life. And he's saying, hey, that old story is just the history of your mess. 
But that mess is not to be kept a secret because it wasn't kept a secret in the genealogy. He's saying your mess becomes a message of what God has done for you. You have clothed yourself with Christ. When God looks at you, what he sees is he sees Christ. He sees Jesus. You do not have to earn anything. It's been done for you. You just simply have to receive it. And that begins the work of God saying, I'm going to get in the middle of your mess and I'm going to start working on it. And we get in line with Jesus and we become part of the line of people leading from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that have seen him bring a miracle in their mess. Like the Messiah entered into our mess so he could make a miracle out of it. So he could take our pain and say, yeah, I've actually experienced pain too. I know how you feel. And I want to bring purpose to it. And I actually even want to bring progress to it. So my question to all of you is, I'm excited. We've got some baptisms today. We've been waiting for those. We had about 10 in the last service. And, and we've got about that many again in this service. And I know there's also some people out there that have said, I've been thinking about that decision, but I haven't made it yet. What are you waiting for? You place your faith in Jesus. And our faith, we place our faith in Jesus and God says he becomes a part of our life. And then the natural response that we see in the New Testament is that people went into the water and they were baptized as a picture of them being clothed with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That event in history that actually happened that had a ripple effect across history to you and me and provided salvation for all people. We place our faith in that and then we are baptized into that. And for some of you today, it is the marker, it is the beginning. It's like a spiritual birthday of saying, okay, God, I'm just bringing this stuff to you and I want you to start working through it. Some of you need to make that decision today. And I want to encourage you, if you do, you just come down at either campus to the baptistry and we'll be ready for you. We've got clothes, we got towels, we got all of that. We'd love to have you have that happen. Guys, there's the bigger picture. The Messiah entering the mess for salvation. But God actually cares about your little picture. And it's interesting, sitting on that back porch with my wife and having that conversation, the conversation continued. And we looked two years back at what had happened with cancer and her breast cancer. And we saw all the things that God was doing in the middle of that. And she's going through some things again. And she's going, does God care about this mess? And then she's going, oh yeah, he does. Because that story was the reminder of everything that he's done in the middle of our mess. We go back four years and we see what was going on in marriage. We look at our marriage today, we're like, oh yeah. You bring that mess to him and he begins to bring miracles out of it. Not only does he bring miracles out of it, he brings a message out of it. And you seem that to be true. So many of you, some of you are like, I want it to be true. Here's what we've just decided is we can't make a sense out of the mess, but here's what we know. When we get Jesus involved in it, it's just, it's still a mess, but it's a beautiful mess. And you get that. It's a beautiful mess. So I want to encourage you today. If you've been thinking, don't stay seated in that seat. As we sing, you come up and let's see you get baptized and start that journey with Jesus. Let's stand at both campuses. I want you to sing. We're going to sing and worship as we watch these baptisms. People are getting changed. It'll take a little bit for them to get out here, both campuses. But man, you, you be ready and let's celebrate with them. But let's also celebrate as we worship what God's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. 
I'm grateful for even the mess in my life because it has allowed me to connect with you. If there wasn't mess, I wouldn't even think I needed anything. But God, I know we need you. I need you. These people need you. Father, please, we just pray that our mess would just be a message that just kind of reverberates off of us to other people that we just say, hey, yeah, it's messy, but look at what God is doing in it. And Father, for those that need to accept you, help them do it today. Help them to have the courage to step forward knowing that this might be the moment that leads to a miracle in their life. And Father, those who are going through pain, ease it for them. Help them to lean into you. And Father, I pray you would transform it into purpose, even progress, and bring some healing to it. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It makes it all possible. We celebrate these baptisms for your sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray.